Dr. Nimrod Mbili is an academic, a successful businessman who has a talent to simplify business and make it relevant beyond the boardroom. Catch Dr. Nimrod Mbili live and beyond governance Tuesdays at 6 p.m. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Hello, hello, and good evening to everybody, and welcome to tonight's installments of Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod. Um, it is my pleasure to be in your company as we continue to make sense of often very complex uh, issues that are facing co- that are facing public and private sector. Tonight's conversation is centered around, among others, the shoulder supremacy, which I've got a very interesting uh, view from um, um, a fellow that. Uh, will soon introduce himself on air and give us a perspective. His name is Warren uh, Green and and um, he'll also be joined by, um, you know, a colleague Mzolisi uh, um, Demanda from um, Demanda Adversary Services um, to give us a perspective around, you know, the shareholder, you know, issues that are that, that are often called upon to ref- uh, that are often called upon to, re- to, to reflect on, especially when you're looking when or when you're seeing some of the the, the colossal of corporate governance as as we know them. Uh, but before we get into tonight's conversation, let me just simply obviously acknowledge uh, my predecessors, Kathy, uh, Vusi, uh, Lindy, and 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 Zinati. Thank you very much, guys, for 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 providing your your support and and making sure that uh, high FM flies the colours it is should. Um, and last but not least, as I'm not uh, always flying solo, I have Tabo, who's a technical producer for the show. Once again, Tabo, thank you very much. Um, you know, for for steering the ship as you should, as you always uh, do. Um, for those that uh, want to weigh in our conversation, uh, our SM line is 345195. And of course, our WhatsApp line is 061-895-1019. And for those that want to give me your thoughts via my email, my email address is nimbro.hi.co.za. Um, yeah, that's, that's where we are. Uh, and um, let's get the conversation up and running. Um, tonight's show, before we get to conversation around shareholder supremacy, which will be, you know, anchored um, by Warren in the main, um, we, you know, one of the issues that perhaps maybe we felt it was quite important for us to reflect on quite pertinently and robustly is the whole issue of um, fruitless and weak-spread expenditure, um, um, you know, incurred by ESCOM. We know that it's making media rounds and tongues are waggling left, right and center for the reasons of course but one thing that um, you know bothered me this morning and as as I listened to conversation around you know almost 20 billion rands of of um, wasteful expenditure and I thought perhaps maybe let's get um, a sense and an, an opinion and online we joined by Joanne Madison who is the head of corporate governance at TMF group uh, to give us a perspective Joanne I believe you're on air Joanna, Joanna, are, we, are, are you with us? We seem to be having a technical problem with Joanne Madison there. Uh, but the, 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 the point that I wanted to bring, you know, to, to everybody's attention is let us have a moment by probing into this vast statement. When you hear 20 billion rands, um, you know, uh, around, um, around uh, irregular expenditure, the question, what the question I would ask, what is an irregular expenditure? Um, without, of course, condoning it, um, did ESCOM derive any value 
in that kind of expenditure. Is there a difference between irregular expenditure and fruitless and wasteful expenditure? Because these are, these are words that are thrown around and hype people and emotions get so evoked without necessarily really understanding, um, you know, what really goes on, you know. For me, um, for as long as an entity de- derives value, you know, and we need to go beyond just that big number and say what percentage of that 20 billion rands um, could have been attributed to, to corruption, maladministration, and, and other factors for us so, so that we're able to zoom in and, and have an informed position. While they're still trying to get hold of um, Joanne, let me just welcome my colleagues. Colleagues, good evening. Hi. Let me start with Warren. Hi, good evening, uh, Doctor, and good evening to your listeners. Thank you, sir, for, for bracing us tonight. Mzolisi, uh, good, good evening. E- good evening, uh, Doc. It's good to be here. I believe um, um, Joanne is on air. Ms. Mackerson, good evening and welcome. Thank you. Can't hear you very well. Um, the lab, are, are you able to hear us now, Joanne? Hello? Can you hear us now? Uh, yeah, but not, not always easily, but yes. Okay, um, you know, let's let's be productive on this point. And uh, now that technology is on our side, Joanne, the question that I want to ask you, and to maybe to share light with our listeners. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Uh, we may have to ask, and we may have to try another line, Tabo, uh, because we're not um, winning with Joanne. Um, Joanne will probably get back to you because this line is quite terrible. Um, maybe before, while um, you know, we're getting Joanne on a, on a, on a better line, uh, let me you know uh, throw this issue towards Mzolis and say, you know, your take of fruit of your take of irregular expenditure. For me, uh, Doc, thanks very much. Uh, for me, the I mean, if we may take the example of uh, the 19 billion uh, from ESCOM, for instance, the <coughs> two questions for me. The first question is, what makes up the what is the makeup of the of the ni- uh, 19 billion, and 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 what drove it? Uh, you know, th- those are the two things that that. Really, I, I, would, I would I would ask uh, before making any any comments. Um, nineteen billion, just a number. Nineteen billion, even for ESCOM, uh, is 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 a big number. Um, I would be worried if I were um, someone who sits, for instance, in the audit and risk committee of the board, because um, if this doesn't come up this cross the, the the task of the of the, the chairman and perhaps the, the members of the audit committee uh, then that would be worrying but if if they did say it you know uh, hopefully they would have um, looked at the back, a breakdown of this number because it is it is big my interest therefore would be what the makeup is of of the nineteen billion? How did we come to twenty billion rand? Yes, essentially. Yeah. That before you before you call make um, before you make you you make yourself a, a, an expert mm. uh, before you start criticizing. Let just get 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 let's get the facts first, and then we can we can comment thereafter. Absolutely, Warren. Your view while we're still waiting for um, Joel Matheson, you want to throw in a bone? Um. 
Uh, I would agree. Um, let's let's look at the facts um, before we before we make up our own opinions and come to our own conclusions. Very useful approach. I believe Joanne Metin is now ready. Joanne, good evening and welcome. Joanne, are you there? My word, it's amazing what uh, technology can do. Um, Joanne, are you there? Yes, thank you. Now, okay, this time around. Gosh, no, there's a lot of background noise. Well, unfortunately, well, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, yeah, it's not sorry working. About that. I can't hear. Thank you very much, Joanne, for your time. I appreciate it. Well, um, that was Joanne Matheson, who we couldn't make, um, you know, because of the technical glitches. Um, she's the director at the TMF Group, responsible for corporate governance. It would have been quite interesting just to hear her thoughts, because um, she, she advises a number of companies, because earlier on when you spoke about this thing, she mentioned the issues around value, which, which perhaps maybe before you get to the second part of the conversation is the value. Um, uh, uh, you know, Zonis uh, is saying, let's get, let's break down this 20 billion rents at principal level or at the first value. It's a big number. There's nobody who's denying it. But let's not be, you know, emotional about it. Let's take a step back and say, of that, you know, because. Some of the contextual issues are very important because in my mind, sitting, listening to comments about, you know, this 20 billion rand, what came to mind earlier is, by the way, we, at some point we have had protracted strike at Midupi, you know, and Kusile. Um, to what extent is this 20 billion rand can be attributed to that? Um, that's number one. You know, number two, uh, we have had a number of contracts that expires which needed to be renewed um, and to what extent could that be part of that? And most importantly, most importantly, did the client derive value? Because if the client did not derive value, then you've got a big problem. So for me, those are kind of issues that I want to venture out and say before we even become emotional about it and politicize it, you know, um, you know, because we have that obligation to look at this matter from a clinical point of view you know because some of for those that who operate at the board level the, the level of complexity they see on a day to day basis is different from someone who is on the street I don't know I could be waffling for what it takes yeah that's true in fact as, as you're talking I was think, talking about thinking about two things the, the, the first one is that um we sh really shouldn't be incurring irregular expenditure. Uh, if we do, let's just keep them to absolute minimum. That's the first thing that I uh, wanted to say. The second thing is, you know, 19 billion in isolation is a big number. But I can't help but think, wonder, um, in, the, in the context of um, ESCOM, because ESCOM is, I think, is, a, is, is the biggest uh, public sector, public entity in, in, in the country, or second biggest, I'm not, I'm not sure. What is the materiality level mm. at, at you know, for instance, at ESCOM? Is, is, is 19 billion huge as it is? He's asking as an accountant now, is, is it material in the context of, of ESCOM? 
you know, uh, that that will help the discussion, inform the discussion. Well, there's no doubt about it. It's definitely material. Yeah. There's absolutely no doubt about it. It's absolutely material in, in every possible way um, because um, the, the impact of that materiality informs um, how ESCO move forward in terms of borrowing and the extent to which, um, you know, some of the conditions, because of, you know, the kind of financial mess it finds itself in, uh, the conditions for borrowing are no longer favorable, which means, you know, the hold gets deeper and deeper. But anyway, that's 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 my view. It's yeah. absolutely material. There's no doubt about it. But the, the question is important to, to ask to ask absolutely. the question. Absolutely. Be, be because, um, you know, if, 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 if it is material... Um, well, I suppose even if it wasn't, uh, but if if it is material, then you you there has to be measures in place to control such expenditure. Absolutely, you you, you can't allow a situation where you get it to a point that it gets to nineteen nineteen billion. Really, but but my, my last my last point, Warren. Uh, I know I know you 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 quite aged. You want to come on this issue? My last point. I promise you. Um, it is the part of the regular expenditure where the municipalities are. Because if we are if we saying obviously nineteen billion of which is quite a sizable chunk, to what extent this chunk can be attributed to, to failure of municipalities and government departments to pay their bid? Because if we needed to have switched the lights off in these municipalities for some reason, we continue to to keep them on. Does that not? amounts to irregular expenditure because you are incurring expenses that ordinarily you ought not to. It, 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 you see, that take, takes us back to, to, my, to the point that I made earlier. Um, about before you make an informed view... Absolutely. Let's, you, let's you, unpack this. Un, unpack the... You know, because I would argue, for instance, that the... You know the the money the money that's owed money that are owed to ESCOM by municipalities. You know would be treated for for accounting purposes differently from if if you were to incur an expenditure that that that's you know um, called that that would be classified as as, as a regular expenditure, for instance. Uh, because I mean the, the that which is owed by municipalities is a debt. You know, is a debt. Perhaps yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference there between a debt and expenditure that we incur yeah. uh, without following procedure, uh, for instance. But let's let's break down the 19 billion. Yeah. Uh, the, what what is the makeup of the 19 billion? And then we can we can we can have a, an informed discussion. Absolutely. Anyway, Warren, your your last part in short before you get to the next part of part of the conversation. I I agree 100. percent I think. Um, before people shoot in the dark, um, educated decisions yeah. um, need to be need to be made. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, which which leads to the next part of the conversation that has to do with the shareholder supremacy, which 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 um, I believe it's it's, it's um, your passion, Warren. And maybe for purpose of our listeners, who's Warren? Where's Warren coming from? So. Warren is a is a governance risk and compliance specialist at a software company called Cura Software Solutions, um, and governance at risk and compliance is is just my passion. It's something I love. Um, I see the real benefit of it, um, and it's just something I, I really enjoy. So every time when you see this kind of colossal of, of um, mismanagement issues, you see kitching kitching. No, not kaching kaching. I think well, how how could uh, these be avoided, and and how can we do things better in the future? 
Thank you. No, no, great stuff. But now, um, um, Warren, one of the issues that, that you and I spoke about earlier on is the supremacy of the shareholder. And I've said to you, even before you come to come to Nair, that um, in any transaction, he who has the financial muscle is superior. You know, and when you look at this, um, you know, shareholder supremacy from a theoretical point of view, uh, it, it presupposes that interests of those that are shareholders or those who have, um, you know, a muscle or political influence, whatever you want to call it, takes precedent. Um, in in the nature of transaction that takes place, that's basically that was shareholder supremacy in a nutshell. Um, can, can be defined, um, and and I wanted to bring in the shareholder supremacy in the context of what you see. I my view at the face value is shareholder supremacy does no longer exist um, purely because of the latest thinking around corporate governance, King One up to King Four the global standards when you talk about integrated reporting, when you take off all the IED infrastructure and so on and so forth, um, are in a way nullifying shareholder supremacy, at least in theory. But in practice, it's a completely different ballgame. Uh, perhaps maybe that's, that should be the point of departure. Absolutely. And, and I'd like to start off with a, a quote. So it's not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. And that was a quote by Adam Smith, who was an economist in the 18th century. And I think it goes a lot deeper than that. I think that the human being by nature is looking after, would be looking after their own self-interests. So it's a natural thing for, for the human to want to take care of their own self-interest first before they start looking after the interests of others and others around them. I couldn't agree with you more. Perhaps maybe we're getting into the realm of the show of the um, uh, um, agency theory because because we're now talking control and management or control and, and, and ownership. Uh, but but before we get to you know different school of thoughts, I want to hear Zolis's view around shareholder supremacy. Would you concur with? The view that suggests that, uh, in as much as at the first value, we seem to have done away, at least from a thinking point of view or from a conceptual point of view, we seem to have done away with um, shareholder supremacy. But the practical or in practice, it is very much embedded. And if we agree that it is still very much embedded, what accounts for this permeation of supremacy of the shareholders, even though the wave globally uh, begins to speak a different language? Are we being hypocritical or what? You know this this idea of shareholder supremacy as 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 just exist if it does exist exist purely in theory. In practice, we see the complete opposite. Um, but rather, we in 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 theory. Let, let me let me rephrase that and say in 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 theory it doesn't exist. But in practice, we see it all the time. I mean, you, you, we, we can start from from your Enron, your 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 Steinoff, or all these companies that have failed. The primary driver is the interest of the shareholders. I mean, I can give you an example of um, the the fund managers, for instance, or, or pension funds. The pension funds have in their act a requirement that says when they invest um, their monies in, the, in these companies, they have to look at what is called ESG factors. And they obviously don't. Or if they do, they just, just it's, it's the tick, tick box thing. 
because had it done that, uh, some of the, I mean, it, just give you an example, Steinhoff, uh, you know, Steinhoff, um, red flags were, were, were raised as far back as 2006. But because uh, Steinhoff was making money for people, Steinhoff was profitable, the share price was, was, was doing wonders, people ignored the other things. It was just about the bottom line. Nothing else. Absolutely. Uh, you, you have a different take on, on the standoff uh, issues as a practical example? I agree 100%. And I'm saying it's, it's not only from potentially the recent organizational failures mm-hmm. that, that we've been seeing. But if you look at the recessions around the globe, um, they have all, if mm-hmm. not most, if not all, have been attributed to some form or another of shareholder supremacy where they, they basically just focused on the shareholders' profit. Yeah. I mean um, – Mervyn King made the point very clear when King 4 was launched in, in November 2016, I think it was, uh, about the, the move, the need to move away from the, you know, from the emphasis on the shareholders. Because now we're talking about stakeholders. The other people who are as important as, as the shareholders uh, in, in the organization. So you need, you need, to, you need to be, you know, take note of that. Uh, so, and it was him and Dr. Ruel Koza who made the who made the point uh, quite emphatically. I just wanted to, to just mention that. No, 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 great stuff. But but I think we 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 all somehow come into an understanding that you know shareholder supremacy is a fallacy. You know, at least in practice, even though there's there's a wave. Um, that is sort of growing when you look at the likes of King um, and, and other leading research and academics that we need to gravitate towards inclusive economy. You cannot talk of inclusive economy if you're not going to bring all other stakeholders on board. Um, but Warren, from your experience, um, how do we, in a nutshell, begin to you know, implement the inclusive stuff that we're talking about, yeah. which 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 is a recognition that we're moving away from, um, you know, uh, the dominate the domination of 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 shareholding uh, um, supremacy. Because ultimately, I also want to argue that there's a positive correlation between, um, you know, inclusive growth, wherein you bring everybody else because players are recognized on the basis of what they bring on the table, and there are trade-offs that can be done. Um, you know, um, even for an example, let's look at the workforce. You know, you're able to um, engage the labor and say, listen, for the next five years, let's not ask for anything. But if we pull our weight together on this particular kinds of transaction, these are some of the economic benefits. So you cannot have that kind of a conversation if your thought process is going to be dominated by supremacy of a shareholding. For sure. You know? Yeah. I, I, that's my take. Yeah. So, so I think uh, first off, we need to we need to start having sort of more empathetic leaders. Um, so, so leaders that that not only care about the shareholders. I mean, they they obviously need to be a portion of of caring for the shareholders. Nobody goes into business not to make money, um, but they 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 need to be empathetic towards the shareholders, um, the workforce. Um, the community social environments within which they operate, as well as the environment. Um, that way they'll be sustainable, um, have a longer longer sustainability. And there are ways and, and techniques that they could potentially use to 
to, to view this. So they need to be transparent to organizations and, and hold people accountable ultimately at the end of the day. Um, some of the easier ways to do this is, is to document this. Um, so in today's day and age with the technology, it's no excuse for, for your executive to say, well, we weren't sure of it. We weren't aware of it. It should be documented by their managers. Um, it should be centrally, centrally accessible by them. Um, and then they can report across this. And, and that's what their discussions or, or board meetings should be based off. Yeah, but I think Warren is raising a very interesting point which bothers on organizational culture. Um, because technology is as good as um, um, uh, who supports it and what kind of the underlying values. Because you can have a wonderful platform, but the content of what you put in are informed by your values. If Absolutely. your values are not, inc- are not um, ethical, you know, um, that technology is not going to do anything. So fundamentally, in as much as we need to talk about or we need to be cognizant of how we use technology to advance the uh, you know um, development uh, from an accountability and transparency point of view, which are obviously elements that are lacking when you look at the kind of mess we find ourselves at at the moment. It is not so much about absence of infrastructure. It is absence of the soul in that we, um, because of the supremacy of the shareholding, let's make quick buck right now, right here, um, screw the rest, basically. Yeah, I don't know. With the rise of social media providing a platform um, for debate on corporate activity in a way that was not feasible a few years back, this will hopefully start to to change things. Um, I think the buyers now gain in more transparency in a way which businesses operate. And if those businesses do not take heed, um, I personally think their outlook when it comes to sustainability, sustainability model may look a, a little bleak. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we're gonna let, let, let's leave it that for now. Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It's now 20 minutes to 7 o'clock. It's amazing how time flies, especially when you're having fun. And, um, we've just joined by uh, Justice Ndaba, who's coming from uh, Knowledge Anchors. And, of course, we, um, uh, we have um, you know, Warren Green and Mzolisi Mkumanda. The conversation that we're having revolves around shareholder supremacy um, as the, the, the school of thought that seems to um, you know, almost like a contradiction. It, it's so pervasive, but when you look at the, the, the current discourse, the current narrative seems to um, negate its existence. But when you look at what happens, um, shareholders still reign supreme. Uh, when, you look at the, when you look at the opposite of shareholders uh, um, um, in the environment, are we talking of inclusive economy? All the stakeholders um, are beginning to express themselves, um, but in reality, we still have a long way to go in terms of uh, appreciating the value of other stakeholders. Personally, the question is, how do boards, um, colleagues, how do boards and executives embrace the value of um, not only the shareholders, but the stakeholders? And the extent to which they understand that through the, inclu- the inclusion of stakeholders, whatever organizational goal and strategies um, that are unlikely to be achieved a lot faster or a lot quicker. If you talk about executives and, and the board, I think the, the first thing that, the one thing that has been missing all along, and I know see some of the companies are beginning to, to do this now, is to actually align the remuneration policies of the executives 
um, align them with the uh, goals of the long-term goals of the company. Because uh, up to now, you've had instances where there's, there's short-term uh, incentives just simply do not help the company in the long term. Once you have short-term um, incentives in place, no executive will spend his time or her time look, uh, worrying about sustainable things. They will, but that's not, that's not going to be the priority. You're seeing companies now who more and more um, you know, align their uh, remuneration policies and strategies uh, to the long-term sustainability of the company. But how vast is that? That's a very useful observation. How vast is that? Because um, when when the bottom line, because which is more closer to, I'm standing corrected, Warren, the bottom line is closer to shareholder um, shareholder supremacy or shareholder expectations, if you like. That let's let's push for these kinds of of deliverable because there there are immediate um, you know benefits. To what extent is you know this kind of a more long term uh, view? And, and sustainability is beginning to take momentum, um, which it, which then informs the thinking within organization. Um, is it still at the theoretical level, or do we see more and more of this kind of thinking taking shape? Good, good, good evening, Ed Doc. How are you? I'm good, and you, sir. Welcome. Yeah. Well, there's there's a. I've been reading quite a few articles recently, and I have observed that. The, there is a movement uh, of corporates, in fact, all over the world, of something that they call shared value, <coughs> which, when I read it, it actually is more attractive to me in the sense that, you know, it is beyond corporate social investment. Because if you look at what uh, CSIs have done before, you know, people identify projects that have nothing to do with the community at times, and in this, in essence, they just go in and throw money at it. So the the shared value concept seems to suggest that, look, business is there to make money. Therefore, let's not take it away, the fact that it's in their interest to make money, so long as they can also identify that uh, stakeholders around them also have uh, uh, expectations and they have value that they want to derive after the, out of the business that uh, operates in their vicinity. For instance, if you have a mine operating in the middle of nowhere, in Limpopo, shared value concept means that they have to identify local businesses that must supply the mine. And in that sense, the small business guys supply the mine. They get the benefit. These guys get the benefit. If their trucks are running around, they have to work with the local municipality to develop the road infrastructure. So in that sense, there's the business doesn't feel guilty that it has to throw money at clinic projects and things like that but identifying the fact that there are people who are out there also wanting to benefit. Therefore, everyone, everyone derives value out of the existence of the business. So I thought that, uh, in fact, it is Michael Potter that wrote that. that. That begins to appeal to me. So if more and more corporates can begin to do that, that, for me, is inclusivity at its best. 
I can almost draw a parallel between uh, shared values and um, what um, Zolisi spoke about ecosystem. Mm. Okay, right. because ultimately, um, you know, part of the ecosystem is saying how the shared value, um, at least at least at the conceptual level, mm. find expression across all the ecosystem. You know, and and perhaps maybe this one Warren to to, to you know to, to come in here because. You're you coming with the te- technology side of things yeah. that begins to, um, you know, inform or technology that 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 is being used to um, harness this kind of information so that all the decision making, uh, um, you know, structures are aware of of what the the ecosystem mm. can potentially provide. What's your take on that? Sure. So, so I mean, at, at first, uh, as King uh, report emphasizes, it starts on ethical leadership. Um, with the establishment of a of an ethical culture and and being a responsible corporate citizen, as an organisation, and I think part of that is is documenting. You obviously you would mm. have your strategies and your objectives that you want to achieve as an organisation, and you would then document these these strategies and you've got potential risks and opportunities um, that form part of these these strategies and and objectives, and you then need to manage them accordingly. And I think by documenting them first off and having a risk based conversation um, or governance-based conversation in your mancos and your excos um, will lead a long way to this. Um, you'll be able to identify potential risks um, or potential opportunities. So we know don't need talking in the negative. But you'll be able to identify these potential risks and, and then act accordingly um, with the controls that you've documented in place and the actions you've you put in place to, to address these. You'll also, once again, have the accountable parties um, Assigned to these, I like what you. I like what you just reflected on on ethical leadership, because everything is an opinion by ethical leadership. Yeah. Because when you look, when you do your 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 ecosystem, um, the kind of mess we find ourselves at half the time are as a result of not the absence of ecosystem, but the values. Yeah. Carried through by the ecosystem, but. You know, moving forward, now that we know what the problem is, how do we mitigate these kind of shenanigans which find expression in the value system um, as, as, or in the ecosystem uh, that you've spoken about? You know, for an example, your, your asset managers um, who, who in most instances have seen to have colluded uh, with, mm. with other entities, um, your boards who who have also been colluded, um, your 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 executive, um, you know, and so on and so forth. How do we entrench the the correct ethical values? Because I think that's the biggest challenge. Is no much about absence of understanding of the nature of of the ecosystem. It is the correct mentality, attitude, and value system that um, it is. That, that is something that promotes shared value as opposed to, you know, values that promotes, you know, the interest of the shareholders at the expense of everybody else. That's the fundamental question. How do we mm-hmm. get, you know, all these other strategic players, your asset managers, you know, your, your board members, your executive, to understand shared value and, and the extent to which this shared value is actually in the long term uh, in the best interest of the company? Excuse <coughs> your pardon. Uh, you know, it, it is it is easier said than done. Um, but for me, it all boils down to to, to ethical leadership, mm. and and the fact that there are four out of sixteen or sixteen plus one principles um, 
in King 4 is no, is, is no, is no mistake. I mean, it's basically deliberate. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that uh, f- three of the principles on, on ethics are the very first principles, one, two, three, um, talks to the importance of ethics, ethical leadership. I think there's, a, there's been a big emphasis on King 4. Now, the, the crux comes in the creation of the ethical culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had someone, one of the CEOs of, of one of the public entities, the other day saying the, uh, you know, ethics is overstated uh, because we have a code of conduct. You know, uh, and and that once you hear that from the CEO, you know, from someone that's you, you know, need to be worried. Then yeah. it, it is very <laughs> worried <laughs> uh, because um, because King Four is outcome based. For instance, um, you you can't now cut and paste, take your 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 code of conduct and and and, and change change them, and uh, you can't. You actually have to. It, it starts with the risk. Uh, it, it, it's a process that starts with risk management, this, uh, risk assessment, the state of the ethics, so that ultimately, what goes into your code of conduct, uh, you know, uh, to, your code of conduct, talk to the issues on the ground. So it, it, it is about ethical leadership, um, the setting the tone at the top. You, it, it, this is for the entity itself. This also goes for 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 the elements in the ecosystem. Um, just give you an example as, as I as I um, close on this thing. Give you an example. Erba, Erba CEO, and this is public knowledge. So you know, I'm not saying anything that that's that's not in public. Erba CEO admitted uh, on television when he was interviewed that they knew. About uh, the, pro- the issues at KPMG, about a year before uh, this thing actually blew up, blew, up, blew out of out of control. Now, doesn't that talk to ethics? Doesn't that talk to ethics? You know, you knew about this thing. Uh, you keep quiet because I mean, the the audit, there's a, there's a act audit audit uh, whatever act I don't remember now. That actually requires erba, requires erba and external auditors. To report whatever they they pick up that 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 is wrong in the company, they don't have to wait until they actually do the audit. It is a requirement in the act, but nothing happened. So it, it goes back to I mean, principle one of the of, of King Four, for instance, talks about is what is uh, colloquially called aircraft. Um, part of aircraft talks about responsibility. It talks about transparency. It talks about accountability. Hmm. So if the companies themselves don't do that which they need to do or they're required to do, then the elements in the in, in the ecosystem need to make them accountable. I couldn't, but but here's the I, thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, unless maybe Justice has a different view. What, uh, um, maybe hold on to the thought, Justice. The, the issue at hand is, yes, uh, we understand the, the importance of ethical leadership. Um, which is quite economical in application. Mm. Sure. You know? Um, what we need to elevate more because, consequence, because the, the, the issues around ethical leadership is so economical, it's almost non existent in practice, mm. which means issues around consequence management needs to be elevated. Okay? I, here's my following up question. Um, if for us to elevate consequence management, you know, what does it? What are the practical things that we need to be doing? Because um, if part of the ecosystem, in all the deliberation, do not enforce uh, 
and elevate uh, issues around consequence management. We, we are inevitably perpetuating the, sho- the, the, the shoulder supremacy syndrome. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, Doc, I cannot agree with you more. I mean, because if, if, if I, for one, uh, I hear my colleagues talking about the ecosystem but, and the reporting, but uh, some of these companies have published excellent reporting because reports are really about checklists and ticking a box. But even in the ecosystem, there has been so much collusion of, of, of the eco-players. Hence, I agree with your point of elevating consequence management because which is what the, the, in the public sector, it seems like that is coming up more and more because we now know that people in the SOEs and so on quickly now they are being fired, the boards are being changed, but we haven't seen an, an equal application in the private sector. In fact, if you look at all the players, uh, if you look at the, 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 uh, the, 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 the participants in the ecosystem, it's, some of them are just all, uh, 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 all boys clubs, ba- basically, because people just cover themselves up. Therefore, there is not much evidence of people who we are seen to be suffering consequences. Many of the, 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 the CEOs or guys like that, that, are, that have done what they've done now, there hasn't been any consequences. They are still out there. They are still operating. They haven't even been fired by their own boards. So I cannot agree with you more that that is the issue that needs to be elevated. We have to begin to see people suffering consequences for what they've done irrespective. Then the credibility of such bodies as Airba, Saika, um, because I've seen recently Saika has done uh, disciplinary inquiries for about three, including Arnott from ESCOM. But uh, there are also uh, accusations that they have not been consistent in the application of that disciplinary inquiry in the sense that there are people that the some CF, CFOs that they haven't disciplined you know so if there's an equitable uh, uh, application of that then that's that's fine because the reputation can be restored okay so you see very passionate yeah no i i i've listened to to the two of you i i don't think we disagree uh, i don't think we disagree um the justice talk spoke, spoke you guys did talk spoke about consequences it is part of ethical leadership and it is part of making people account the fact that um these things are not happening now is a problem mm. in fact there's there's a there's a there's a there's an article that I, that I there's something that i did part of part of research that i did for something else where uh, i make the point for instance, uh, that uh, in, in this company, you, you go through these companies' annual reports, uh, the corporate governance section. Mm. They talk about how ethical they are, how uh, but they have integrity failures, etc. But in practice, it is a completely different thing. It's not happening. Uh, uh, you know, it, they do doing the opposite. But no one makes t- you know makes them account for that, and this is the problem. Which comes, back, which comes back to the issue that started this conversation on yeah. shareholder supremacy. Yeah. The fact that there is no consequence management, um, particularly accord, proportionally accorded to the to, to, to powers that be, because um, they always follow, you know, the, 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 the folk guy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think until we see 
proportionally applied consequence management mm. um, at the top. Mm. Thank you. Uh, mm. We're not going to move anywhere because ethical leadership, you know, because we, we, we simply just win dressing. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure whether you are going to agree with me here, Warren, you know, that um, shareholder supremacy, something that you, you brought to our attention, which, which has evoked this kind of conversation, is that it is still pretty much relevant um, and, and dominating thought um, at least uh, in, 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 in action but in theory we seem to, we want to move we, we claim all want to claim to move away from but but when you look at the kinds of shenanigans we see on a day to day basis that we are all we are saying shareholder supremacy it is just that shareholder supremacy sure. he who has investment muscle dictates terms mm. even at the expense of ethics sure Thank you. Sure. And I agree. Um, there should be consequences. But whether those consequences are, are regulatory or not, um, as I mentioned earlier, with the, with the rise of social media um, providing a platform for, for people to comment and, and air their views, um, we may slowly start um, seeing these, these kind of organization mm. and these unethical um, leaders sort of falling out of, out of the picture. Mm. Okay. So uh, you know, there, there's a lot more involved in 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 in, in, in ethic, eth- ethics and ethical leadership that, than than we have the time to talk about now. Uh, what we haven't done though is is talk about the board and its role in making people accountable. Um, the, the, we were so meant to talk about um, uh, Steinoff at some stage uh, and and overtaken by events. Uh, you know, sure, you've got <laughs> yes. two minutes to go. So <laughs> and, and when we do. When we do talk about Steiner for some stage, then we'll break this down further. Yeah, okay. I think it's important. Okay, yeah. no, lovely. Your last part in short, um, uh, let's start with, with um, Justice and we end up with um, Warren. Um, I think for me, it's, it's, it's activism <laughs> needs to be elevated. Uh, we need to start seeing more people coming into AGMs and doing what they're supposed to do, questioning things, asking the right questions. Because the reports that are coming to AGMs uh, are packaged well, but people just rubber stamps things that they have not read. At board meetings, people just sign off. You know, so we need to begin to ask the right questions at all stages. Right questions indeed. Warren, from a technological point of view, because you are a, a technological guru, um, the kinds of the, the kinds of um, the kinds of sorry, the, the kinds of platform that could enhances the the reporting as you like, you know, from where you're sitting, you know, um, is it an issue of of lack of substance in the reporting, or what is it? I think it's maybe just. Uh a combination of both. Um, the, the idea behind the risk reporting and that it, it, it's not a it's not a, a tick box on the agenda item. The the board agenda should be risk based or governance based mm. rather than just one check box item of the agenda. Um, so I think the the executive committee meetings, the exco meeting, manco meetings need, need to, to be, be risk based rather than have risk as an agenda on on the board. Unfortunately, guys, we're going to have to leave it that day. It has been an absolute pleasure to have this kind of conversation. I know we started off with, you know, you see how we have moved from, uh, um, you know, a shoulder supremacy and how it encompasses these kind of issues. We can't do, we can't do much in an hour's time. Um, having said that, it has been an absolute pleasure. Adios.